Oftentimes, our dreams and God's timetable don't seem to match up. We find ourselves dealing with a delayed dream, and we're left wondering, does God remember me? This is the second message in the series, How Prayer Changes Things. The message is entitled, Remember Me. My name is Jessica, and I am honored to be with you guys this weekend sharing uh, this message called Remember Me. And I, I love that I get to serve here on our church staff team. I help to oversee our discipleship ministries, and so that is my role here at Church of the Redeemer. And we have been, we started a series last weekend. How many of you remember what Pastor Dale taught us last weekend about Jacob, right? He taught us about the prayer of God change me. Did anybody pray a change me prayer this week? I know I did. I prayed some change me prayers, and I know that God changes things, but he talked about how first and foremost we want to approach God with God change me. We all need to be changed, don't we? Today we're going to look at a story in the Bible about a woman named Hannah. And we're going to look at a prayer that she prayed and what we can learn from her. So we're going to read uh, quite a bit of verses this morning, but it is in a story format. So hopefully you'll be able to stick with me here. We're going to read 20 verses starting in, it's going to be in 1 Samuel 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. So listen as I read. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, of Ephraim. So basically, all that we need to know from that first part is the first six words. There was a man named Elkanah. That's all you need to worry about right now. There was a man named Elkanah. It continues here. It says, Elkanah had two wives. Um, ladies, <laughs> what do we think of this? How about we turn around to find a man around you and say, uh-uh, no. This would have been normal in these days, but today we say, no, 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 right? So there was a man named Elkanah. He had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. All right, men, how about you say, oh, boy, <laughs> Oh boy, he's got two wives, so he's already in trouble. And now he has one wife that's able to produce children and another one who cannot. That might be, this guy's gonna get in trouble, isn't he? Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days that Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and to each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because, uh, because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Now check out her really wise husband. Why are you crying, Hannah? Why are you crying, Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why, have, why are you so downhearted just because you have no children? You've got me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? <laughs> okay, so women, wives, this is kind of the epitome of a man, of a husband having no idea what to do with our emotions, right? Why are you crying? What's wrong with you? What's going on, right? This is, this is classic. And so a little advice to the husbands here, don't ask us why. 
okay? It's not gonna work. We don't know why. We don't know why we're crying all the time, and it's not really helpful. So just some extra uh, help for you there. Uh, Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayers. Another translation says, if you will remember me and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again. She was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, the Lord, I asked the Lord for him. So this is a story about a woman who had a deep desire to become a mother. She had this longing to mother, not just a child, but she wanted a son. And motherhood in in these days would have perhaps been the deepest desire of any woman. Not only was it a deep desire, it actually was a symbol of her identity as a wife and as a woman. If a woman in these days could not bear children, it was as if she had no value. And so she had this deep desire, this dream in her heart, but for some reason it wasn't coming to pass. There was nothing wrong with her desires, wasn't like she was desiring something sinful or wrong. She had a good desire, something that would have come from God, but she was not seeing it fulfilled. She was, she was wanting it to happen at a certain time, but it wasn't. On top of that, her husband's other wife was having great success as a mom, right? She was popping them out left and right, no big deal, right? She's having all these children and making fun of Hannah because Hannah could not have children, And what's interesting about this story is if we take a minute and pause and think about this, we can see ourselves in Hannah. Maybe your desire is not to become a mother. Maybe you're a man here and that's not your desire. But we all have desires. We all have dreams in our heart. We all have a vision of what the future could be. God created us this way. He created us with the ability to see past today into something that could B, it's the one-day statements that we all make. Have you ever made a one-day statement? One day, I'm gonna get married, I'm gonna have kids, I'm gonna have the job I always wanted, I'm gonna be really successful. One day, my child who's walking far from God is gonna turn back and come to him. One day, I'm gonna own that company. One day, I'm gonna have this, this dream fulfilled in my life. One day, maybe the person that I really care about is gonna finally be healed. One day, what? 
We all have them. We have these one-day statements, and it's, it's this hope for the future. It's something that we expect to see, and God, again, he created us this way, but oftentimes our dreams, our desires don't seem to match up with God's timeline, right? The time we wanted it to happen doesn't seem to match up always with the time he has in store for us, and it leaves us asking the question, does God remember me? Just like Hannah we feel forgotten. We feel like, does he remember that prayer I prayed? Does he remember the deep longing in my heart? Does he remember what I've asked him for year after year? Does he remember me? And the truth is, is that delays in life, they're a part of life. Delays in our dreams, delays in our desires, delays in life are part of life. And delays are difficult to navigate. They're difficult to deal with because they leave us feeling all sorts of ways. Let me just give you some of the ways that delays impact us. Delays can make us feel disheartened. The verse said in 1 Samuel 1-7, it said, year after year it was the same. Have you ever had a situation in your life where no matter how many times you've prayed about it, year after year it was the same? And that was Hannah's situation. Year after year, it was the same. And that's disheartening. Delays can make us feel disregarded or dismissed. You remember she prayed, Lord, remember me. She felt disregarded. She felt dismissed. She felt like, do you see me? She, even her husband kind of dismissed this desire. Why are you crying? What's the big deal? Just because. Maybe you've heard somebody say, just because you don't have that, you're feeling this way. We feel dismissed. We feel disregarded. We also feel distressed. Delays can make us feel distressed. Sad, anxious, weary, can't eat, can't sleep. That's what it said about Hannah in 1 Samuel uh, 1 verse 7. It said Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. That is distressing. That's being in a place of distress. So delays cause us to feel distressed. They also cause us to feel degraded. Have you ever had somebody say to you, by now you should have right? By now you should, you're not married yet. By now you should have been married. You haven't had kids yet. By now you should have had kids. You didn't get that job you were looking for. By now you should be making that money. Have you ever had somebody say, by now you should have, right? That, that's, that's our reality is sometimes we feel degraded. We also can feel distracted, when we have delays in our lives, they're distracting to us. Why? Because it's all we see. We only see what we don't have, the prayer that hasn't been answered. It causes us to move our eyes from what we do have and from the joys in the present to the things we don't have. It's just like her, her husband was really just saying, hey, I'm here too. Like, look at me. Don't forget about me, right? And he was a blessing. It says in the Bible that he loved Hannah. And so he was loving to her, but he's standing there. Have you forgotten about me? You're so focused, tunnel vision, on this thing you don't have, and we get distracted when we have delays in our life because it causes us to turn our attention and all of our energy towards that one thing. And ultimately, delays cause us to feel discouraged and disappointed. Discouraged and disappointed. The Bible even acknowledges this in Proverbs 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. 
hope deferred or expectation put off, things that we want to see in our life that are delayed or pushed off, it makes our hearts sick. It causes us to feel all these different things and it's difficult to navigate those things. And so if delays are a part of life, we've gotta learn how to navigate them. We've gotta learn how to walk through those without uh, losing our minds, right? We've gotta figure out what can we learn here from Hannah that will help us to navigate these delays in our life. So we're gonna look at five things together of what we can learn from Hannah. And point number one is this. We've gotta take our situation to God. Take our situation to God. First Samuel 1 verse 9 says, Hannah got up and went to pray. You know, Hannah could have done a lot of different things. She could have sat at that table and complained. She could have sat at that table and just wept. She could have gathered some other barren women around her and they could have sat and commiserated about all their woes and all their feelings, right? She could have, and maybe justifiably so, taken her anger out on Penina, who was very mean to her, and really just told her off, right? She could have done that. She could have taken the opportunity to uh, take all of this pain out on all of those that were around her. But what did Hannah do? She took her situation to God. She took her situation to God in prayer, and when we face delays in our life, We've gotta take it to him. Number two is wrestle with God and our emotions in prayer. Wrestle. Pastor Dale referred to this last um, weekend when he talked about Jacob and the encounter that Jacob had with this angelic being and this wrestling match that they were in. And, And it's similar to that, but we have to learn how to wrestle with God and our emotions in prayer. Emotions are real. Right? They are not necessarily something good that we should uh, use to direct our lives. They're not necessarily what we should use to make decisions, but they exist. They're a real part of our life. We have emotions, and while we shouldn't use them to navigate our lives, we also shouldn't ignore them. We shouldn't try and stuff them away and not deal with them. There's a quote that says, pain buried alive doesn't die. It doesn't die. You try and push it away and push it down and push it out of, out of the way and you just don't wanna deal with it, but it won't die. And so we have to learn how to wrestle with God and our emotions in prayer. That's the best thing we can do with those emotions. And I love this fact about God is that he's not overwhelmed by our emotions. He is not disturbed by our crazy up and down all over the place. He is not clueless on how to handle that. He's not like Elkanah, dumbstruck of what do I do in this moment? How do I handle this? God is a comforter. He is patient with us. He's a great one to process through things with. And so he, he is not overwhelmed by what we bring to the table. He wants us to wrestle those out with him so that we can move forward and not be stuck in them. In 1 Samuel 1, verse 10, it says, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Hannah was wrestling with her emotions before God. She said later when she was talking to Eli, I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. It's so important for us to learn how to do this. Do you know that even Jesus learned, or or took the, Jesus wrestled with his emotions. Did you know that? Before Jesus was arrested and taken to the cross and crucified, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And in that time that he was there, he wrestled 
with his emotions. He even said, my soul is crushed. My soul is crushed. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. And so Jesus was in this wrestling match, and you see it when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says to his disciples, you guys stay here and pray. I've got to go pray. And he goes to a different place, and he's crying out to the Lord. The Bible even tells us that he's sweating blood, and tears are just dripping down. And he's praying in deep anguish. His soul is crushed. And he's saying things like, God, I, I don't want to do this, but I want your will to be done. And then he gets up and he goes back to his disciples. He's a little restless, right? Do you see this? He's coming back to his disciples. You guys aren't, aren't awake. You need to pray. Come on, wake up. He comes back over here. God, not my will, but yours be done. And then he goes back to his disciples and they're sleeping again. Okay, anybody fall asleep while you're praying? Yes, we all do. Okay, so they're sleeping. Wake up, guys. I need you to pray with me. He goes back a third time and it says he prays the same things Again, and you see this wrestling match between God's will and his emotions. God's will and his emotions. And sometimes that wrestling match looks pretty restless. It looks like I'm not okay with this situation, but I really want to trust you. I don't like how things are turning out, but I think that you're faithful. I'm angry and I'm scared, but I really want to believe that you know what you're doing here. It's this wrestling match of our, our emotions and our, our, with God. And we've got to learn how to work this process out before God because in that moment, he brings us to the third point. And that third point is surrender our situation to his care and timing. Surrender. Have you ever uh, experienced, maybe as a parent, or you've seen it happen in a grocery store or something, this toddler that is just out of control, throwing a big old tantrum. They didn't get the toy that they wanted. They had to share with their sister. All of these emotions are, I mean, they are kicking and screaming, and they are just flailing and going crazy. And then all of a sudden, they plop back on mom or dad, and they're out asleep right? They just pass out because they have worn themselves out of this just wrestling match, right? And they finally just, I give up. And that is the picture of what needs to happen with us. We wrestle it out, wrestle it out, wrestle it out, wrestle it out with God and our emotions, and we're in prayer about this, and then all of a sudden, I give up. God, I surrender. I'm done. And we see Hannah display. She prayed her way into a place of surrender. What is surrender? Well, surrender is just to give up possession of something, to resign or to yield ownership, to relinquish control of something. When we surrender to God, we're simply acknowledging that what we think we own actually belongs to him. It, and it oftentimes needs to be a repetitive choice. It's not something that we one and done just can say and move on. A lot of times we have to over and over again say it. That's what we see with Jesus, right? Three times he said, I want your will to be not done, not mine. And then he goes back to his disciples, comes back. I want your will to be done, not mine. He goes back again. I want your will to be done, not mine. It's a repetitive thing. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves and get our souls aligned with surrender to God. Surrender is laying back on him and saying, I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to trust you. I keep a, a sticky note on my computer and it says this. It says, Jesus, I trust you completely because you are completely trustworthy. Is that necessarily a statement of where I always am at? No. 
that is a statement of surrender. It's a statement of, of faith that says, you know what, when I don't understand you, God, when I don't understand what you're doing, I choose to trust your care for me. When I don't understand why what I've dreamed for hasn't come to pass, I choose to trust your timing. God, when I don't understand you, I choose to trust that you're good. Jesus, I trust you completely because you are completely trustworthy. Notice what this point says. It says we surrender our situation to his care and to his timing. Look in uh, Hebrews 1, or he, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. It says, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. This picture of casting is like when you go fishing and you cast a line out. It's this tossing out. It's throwing it on him and saying, you know what? I'm gonna fall back on you, Jesus, because you care for me. Jeremiah 29, 11, a familiar passage says, for I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. We can trust his care for us. We can trust his plan for us. We can trust his goodness. We also can trust his timing. First Samuel 1, 19 through 20 says, the Lord remembered Hannah. He remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. First Peter 5, 6, 6 says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Just like there's a harvest in a garden, there's, there's a due time for that harvest, right? I can create a, a, an environment for the plants in my backyard, but I can't force it to grow. There's a due time for that. If it's not blueberry season, I'm not gonna get blueberries, right? There's a due time. It's the same when you're giving birth to a child. How many mothers out there when you're around 37, 38 weeks pregnant, you are done and you're ready for that thing to be out of you? Yes, I've been there. Five times I've been there. And I have done some really creative things to try and get that baby to come out. But what I can guarantee you is that no matter what, that baby will come out. There is a due time. There is a due time and no matter what I do to try and even keep it in there, it will come out. And that is the same thing with God. There is a due time for us. We have to learn to trust God's due time. We've gotta surrender to his care and to his timing. And number four, we gotta accept the peace he offers. Accept the peace he offers. First Samuel 17, First Samuel 1, 17 through 18, this is Eli, he answers Hannah and he says, go in peace. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again and she was no longer sad. Colossians 3.15 says, and let, that's an important word right there. Circle that word if, if you have it in your notes or you can, highlight it. And let the peace of God, the, the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. God wants us to wrestle this out with, a, with him. He wants us to get to a place of surrender, but he also wants us to accept the peace he offers us. He offers us peace. And sometimes we resist that peace, but he wants us to reach out and grab that peace. Let the peace 
that comes from Christ's rule in your hearts. We gotta reach out and take it and then we have to guard it. Isaiah 26.3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God is able to keep us in perfect peace when we keep our minds stayed on him. And when you see maybe peace seeping out of your life, check if your mind has strayed from him. I can guarantee you it probably has because that's what the word tells us. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on him. We have to guard that peace. So we accept it and we guard it. And number five, praise him no matter the outcome. 1 Samuel 1, 19, listen to this. It says the entire family, so this is, Hannah had spent a day praying in the temple. Uh, She had cried out to the Lord, gotten to this place of surrender, accepted the peace that the priest had spoken over her. And then the next day, Hannah was not pregnant yet. She actually didn't even know if and when this was gonna happen. The very next day, early the next morning, they went and worshiped the Lord once more. So before she knew how this was gonna turn out, she chose to praise. She turned her focus from pouting to praising, from a downcast soul to rejoicing, not rejoicing in her pregnancy, because again, she wasn't pregnant yet, but she turned her pouting and her downcast soul into worshiping God because of his goodness. Not because she was pregnant yet, not because she had what she had dreamed for, but because she chose to praise a good God. Her hope moved from getting pregnant with this son to being captivated by her God. She got her eyes off of her situation onto the greatness of her God. I love this passage in Habakkuk 3. It's verses 17 through 19. It says this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Though the gas prices are high and the grocery shelves are empty, though my bank account runs dry and I fear corona, yet, everybody say yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. So I'm not gonna rejoice in the fact that I have everything that I wanted, all of my dreams came true. I'm not rejoicing in those things because those things come and go, they change, they're up and down, left and right. We can't put our hope and our rejoicing in those things. We rejoice in the Lord. I'm joyful in God who is my savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Those things are not my strength. They're not what brings me strength. They're not what brings me salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and he enables me to tread on the heights. We have to choose to praise him, why? Not because we got what we wanted, but because he's good. Not because we understand him all the time, we understand his timing, we understand what he's doing, but because we can trust his care and we can trust his timing. We don't praise him because we always feel like it. 
we praise him because he said to. So what did we learn today? We learned that delays are a part of life. We all have delays in our life. We don't get what we wanted when we wanted it to happen. And we are left sometimes feeling disheartened, disregarded, dismissed, distressed, degraded, distracted, discouraged, disappointed. What do we do with those delays? Well, we bring them to God. We gotta bring that situation to God. We gotta wrestle with Him. We gotta wrestle with our emotions in prayer. We gotta get to this place where we finally plot back on God and say, you know what? I'm surrendering to your care and to your timing. I'm gonna accept the peace that you're giving me. I'm gonna guard that peace and then I'm gonna praise you, Lord, no matter what the outcome. For some of us here today, your first step is to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. We can't get on this road of trusting God fully until we surrender our lives to Him. For some of us here, you have been dealing with delays in your life and you are feeling some of those ways that we talked about. You're feeling a little, one of the dist words, right? You're feeling a little dist. And God wants to remind you that He remembers you. He remembers you. And whatever that situation is, whatever that delay is, he's asking, will you bring it to him and entrust it to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you are a trustworthy God. God, that you see us, that you remember us, that you love us, and that you do have a due time for us. Father, I pray, Lord, for each person in this room. God, whatever they're dealing with, whatever delays maybe they're facing in their life, God, I pray that you would meet them here today, that you would bring encouragement to their hearts in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. 
And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.